And I'd like to invite the rest of you to open your copy of God's perfect and life-giving word to the book of Deuteronomy. We'll be starting in chapter 5 this morning. So if you're using one of the Bibles that we provided for you there in the rows, it'll be page 150 uh, of those Bibles. So it has been uh, an exciting time in the life of our church. I, I always feel like I can say that because God is good and His Spirit is, is at work uh, in us and through us. Uh, but, you know, it's always a special time of the year, not only as we've looked at Jesus, our true and greater, really fill in the blank everything uh, through the series, but also as, as Jesus continues to transform people's lives right before our eyes. And so we saw this last week. Uh, on Sunday night, we had our baptism service where we saw six of our friends uh, follow the Lord in baptism. And so that was a privilege, always a privilege to hear testimonies of faith in Christ and to see that on display in baptism as people identify not only with, with Christ, but as people saying we are a people who have died with Christ and now we've been raised to new life in him. That's what baptism is all about. And so uh, one of the sweetest and clearest testimonies uh, Sunday night actually came from our youngest new believer in Christ whose name is Alethea. She's eight years old. Okay, so you can just, if you missed it, uh, you, you would have to uh, visualize this. Her father got down on one knee, held the microphone for her, and she bravely and courageously shared her testimony. And so she, growing up with Christian parents, heard the stories of the Bible from a young age. And she had heard about Jesus and the, and the, the work of Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. But it wasn't until last Halloween, somewhat ironically, okay, we celebrate Reformation Day on Halloween too, by the way, okay, a little church history, Luther, 95 Theses, bam, Reformation, let's go back to the Bible, graced by faith for his glory. Uh, so, so anyway, on Halloween, Alethea uh, is carving a, a pumpkin with her mother. And they're making this jack-o'-lantern. And her mother, Tiffany, explains that our lives are kind of like this pumpkin. The, the end result of a jack-o'-lantern is that it's going to look really good and really cool on the outside, but in order to present it and prepare it correctly, you have to get all of the, the stuff, she called it icky stuff, out from the inside. And, and her mother explained how that icky stuff is, is kind of like the sin that we all carry in our lives, in our hearts. And this is why we need God's forgiveness and his grace that he provides for us in his death on the cross. And so it was actually during these moments that an eight-year-old child understood the gospel, not only in her mind, but in her heart, that it was personal. She understood that she needed the forgiveness that Jesus offers through his life death, and resurrection. So Alethea came to faith. She has new life in Jesus Christ. Now, what is inherent in her testimony, and we all know this to be true, is that our lives are kind of like that jack-o'-lantern, right? We can look really good on the outside but still on the inside have all kinds of mess that's going on that people around us don't always see. And so I think we all long 
to have a life that is consistent, not only on what people see on the outside, right? We can come into church. We can kind of like, yeah, it's been a good week. Everything's cool. We got it together. But, but really on the inside, man, we're a wreck. Our relationship with God is suffering, perhaps almost non-existent. We haven't been devoted to him in his word, prayer, encouraging one another. And so, man, we can, we can look like we have it all together. But on the inside, we really need some help. And so I know that you can identify with that because I certainly can as well. And what we long for is a life that is being so renovated on the inside that what comes out on the outside is true and sincere. And so we're going to go back to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And this fifth book in our Old Testament is the book of Deuteronomy and it is a re-giving, an explanation of the law that God gave to Moses for his people. So this morning we're going to look at Jesus as our true and greater Moses from Deuteronomy 5 and 6. Now what you need to understand, just a little historical context. Deuteronomy occurs, the setting is after the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. If you caught John's excellent sermon last week, he explained how the people of Israel, though they were promised to inherit the land, that they could go over the Jordan and possess this land that God was giving them Chapter 13, verse 1, it says that when the spies went in, the majority, 10 out of the 12, were saying, you know what? It is true. This land is flowing with milk and honey, but there are giants in the land, and their cities are fortified, and, and, and we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so we seem to them. And so the 10 in, in unbelief, disbelief, chose not to obey God and exercise faithfulness in the promises of God, but they rebelled. And so God led them to wander in the wilderness. That generation died there in the wilderness. And it would be their children then that would come to the edge of the Jordan and the plains of Moab here in Deuteronomy. And Moses, just before he ends his life, gives them a series of sermons, a series of exhortations about God's will for them as they cross into the promised land, that he wants to tell them how they should live their life so that they can experience God's blessing living under God's rule in the land that God was giving them. So that's the context of what we're going to see here in Deuteronomy. The purpose of Deuteronomy is found in chapter one, verse five, where it says, beyond the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain the law, okay? So what we want to do is, is ask the question, what can we learn about God's law that we can take and apply to our relationship with God today? Okay, we're not the people of Israel. Okay, we're the church. We don't live under the Mosaic law. We live under the law of Christ. But what can we take and see from God's giving of the Mosaic law that applies to our lives? And I wanna give three encouragements, okay? Number one, how we are to receive the the word of God as his revealed will for our life. Number two, how we are to keep his commands, not just keep them, but keep them from the heart. And then three, how that we should be so consumed by God's word that we can't help but share it with other people, okay? That's where we're going today. So, so the, the overarching encouragement is this, plain and simple. And I think you can build a whole theology of the Christian life around this one statement. Live the word from a heart of love and live to share it with others. Lead others to do the same. Okay, let me say that again because I messed it up, all right? I wrote it and I can't remember it. Uh, live the word from a heart of love and lead others to do 
the same, okay? Got it? So begin with, we can't, we can't live the word unless we have received God's commands as his revealed will for our lives, okay? So, so chapter four, skip back, verse 44. Here is an introduction. It says, this is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. Now, verse one of chapter five. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the midst of the fire while I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up into the mountain. So what do we see here, okay? In order for us to receive God's word properly, we need to understand the nature of God's word, okay? So, so, so to begin with, we need to understand that these are the very words of God. This is what we see in verses one through five. It says that, that God spoke to the people that he made a covenant. God is the one initiating this. God is the one who is speaking to his people to give them his very words. Moses heard the word of the Lord and communicated the word of the Lord to the people of God. So when he's talking about these statutes and rules that he speaks in their hearing, this is what we're gonna see for the rest of the, the book of Deuteronomy. These are God's intentions for his people as they live in the promised land. Now, we should pause just for a moment, okay, because as those who maybe are, are, have been brought up in church, who come to church consistently, okay, it can really become a danger that we come to the Word of God in kind of such a routine manner that, that, that we're forgetting almost, if not up here theologically in a practical sense, that we are hearing the very words of God when we open the Scriptures, I mean, just, just pause and think about that. When we open the Bible, the 39 books in the Old Testament, the 27 books in the New Testament, the, this word that was given to the prophets and the apostles and the Son of God, who is the word of, of God, we are hearing the very words of God. And oh, by the way, when we hear a sermon that is faithful to the text of Scripture, we are hearing the word of God today. So if we are hearing the very words of God, then we should, as verse 1 says, we should hear, we should listen, we should be on the edge of our seats, if not physically, at least in our heart, kind of waiting to hear what God wants to speak to us. I mean, I'm just going to be honest. We don't think we have this problem at Redemption Hill. I hope we never have this problem at Redemption Hill. But I can't imagine people kind of just coming to hear the word and just kind of dozing off like, oh, yeah, and it's, you know. Now, now, thankfully, since I'm preaching, I can kind of see everybody's face. I know that that doesn't really happen. All right, and that's not to say, man, I know some people work the night shift and they still come even though they haven't had sleep. So, I mean, you know. We've all been there, right? We've all had a long week. We've all had all-nighters, college students, okay? But, but you get the point, right, that, that we so want to hear from God that we are expected, that we are anticipating, that we are hanging on every word that God would say to us. 
So I love what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says about how we should receive the word. Paul is writing to the, the church in Thessalonica, and he says this. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, and don't miss this, which is at work in you believers. So when we hear the word, we're hearing the very words of God, and they are life-giving words. They are transforming words. They have the power to change us from the inside out. One of the marks of a mature believer, don't miss this. One of the marks of a mature believer is a deep and abiding love for the word of God. So, so you show me a believer who just devours the word and I'm gonna show you a person who is growing in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Persian put it like this. He says, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. You ever heard that? A Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. So just, you know, I like to just say this from time to time. Just, just put this to the test and see. Just, just put it to the test. You devour the word daily over the next two, three months. I guarantee you, if your heart is in it, you're going to see positive changes. Not because you're so great, but because the word is powerful and it changes us and transforms us. But here's the deal. We have this, this tendency to such a great and heinous pride that oftentimes we, we, we come to the word and we say, oh yeah, I got that. Oh yeah, I've heard that before. Oh yeah, man, I've heard, I've heard 10 sermons on this text. I mean, you know, I've been to that Bible study and, you know, I've, I've read Ephesians 25 times. What's 26 gonna read? I could, I could quote it to you from heart, Right? And we, we expose our ignorance that the word is inexhaustible. It's a, it's a treasure that keeps on giving to us, showing us how we are to live our lives on a daily basis. And so we who are so familiar with, with the Bible, let me, let me just ask, ask us this morning, can you quote the Ten Commandments? One, two, three, four, five, six. Can, can you just... Say them by, we, we know the Bible so well, right? You shall never God's before me. Remember that one? That's number one. Can you, can you keep going? Okay. Some of us, so, so, so here's just, just a little humility check, okay? Just a humility check. We need to know the word. We need to love the word. We need to devour the word, internalize the word. And so in verses 6 through 21, Moses recounts the Ten Commandments that he had already articulated back in Exodus 20. And so what do we find in the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments reveal the character of God, okay? In many respects, they function as a summary of God's will for his people. And when we, we come to the Ten Commandments, we see that this, this is the Mosaic law given to the people of Israel that's an expression of God's eternal moral law. All right? So as we, as we think about how that we do not now live under the Mosaic law, we still live under God's eternal law. We live under the law of Christ. And so, so we, we uh, see that, that 
eight out of the ten of these commandments appear in the New Testament. And even though we don't see a direct command to keep the Sabbath, we see that Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath and we now find rest in him. And so we, we, we don't keep the Sabbath as the Old Testament saints did, but we, we observe it and keep it in a different kind of way because it's been fulfilled in Christ. So the, this, this God's eternal truth is abiding even though we're not the people of Israel living under it in the same ways that they did in their day. So just to state the obvious as well, these commands told the people what to do, all right? These commands told people what to do. Now, now if, if I were to ask uh, some of you to, to stand up, and I said, hey, stand up, run outside, do 50 jumping jacks, hurry up, get back in here, and sit down. Like, if, if I just kind of said that to you real quick and kind of caught you off guard, how would you feel about that? I know, I mean, number one, you're thinking that's kind of random and weird. Like, you know, I know you're not in very good shape, but why are you trying to pick on me, trying to get me in shape? You know, like, it might be kind of, but, 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 but think about the, the point here being that none of us like to be told what to do, right? Hey, you need to do this. You need to do it, like, right now. You need to do it joyfully, too, by the way. So, so we just... There's something within us that we like to be in control. Like we, we like to call the shots. We like to tell other people what to do. We don't, who are you to tell me what to do? And so what happens then is that we project our experience with other people onto our experience with God. And sometimes it's warranted to be a little upset with people because people sometimes have ulterior motives, sometimes they're selfish, sometimes, you know, it doesn't really make sense what we're asked to do in, in kind of human relationships, but we never have this problem with God because God always has our best interest at heart. He always uh, speaks from pure motives, never out of selfish motives. So even though sometimes we resist the authority of God over our lives, we do so very foolishly because God always knows what's best for us. And when he asks us to live for his glory, it always results in blessing and for our good. Because after all, he made the world and everything in it, including us, and he knows what we need, okay? So what then are the Ten Commandments, all right? We don't have time to break these down, but I do at least want to state them and to kind of call us to remember them and to, uh, to, to live them out as God gives us grace, all right? So, so what are the Ten Commandments, all right? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. All right, so, so don't, don't miss this one, all right? Don't just, again, think, oh, yeah, got that. I'm here, like, I'm here. I'm not, you know, somewhere else. Like, I'm trying to follow the, God, the one true God with my life, all right? Because we know that theologians have said that, the, 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 that our hearts are like idol factories, that we're constantly producing uh, replacement gods in our life that we're giving our ultimate affection and allegiance to. And so just take these three words and apply them rigorously to your life. God over everything. You got that? God over everything. We're talking about God over our relationships, God over our workplace, our job, God over degrees, God over comfort, God over money and possessions. It's God over everything, comprehensively. Jesus over everything. He wants to, to rule and reign in our lives down to the minutest detail. 
And so this is a call to, to love God with all of our heart as we're gonna see later in the text. And what's so great about this first commandment is that if we get this first one, we will really get all the rest. But if we break the others, what's happening is that we're really breaking the first one at a deeper level. Okay, so just take some of the examples. Let's, let's read through them and I'll take a couple of the, uh, for instances, okay? Uh, number two, you should not make idols. Do not make any kind of carved image. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, okay? And this isn't just cursing uh, God in some kind of derogatory manner using, but it's also using his name in a flippant manner. When we speak of God, we should remember how holy and perfect he is, that there should be a connection that, that God is God alone. He alone is great and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. So we should never speak his name with any kind of emptiness or vanity. Number four, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Again, we said this is fulfilled in Christ. So now we find our rest in him. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have rhythms of work and rest and worship, all right? But it does mean that Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath. How about this one? Honor your father and your mother. This command, by the way, doesn't stop when you get out of the house after, you know, 18, 19, whatever it might be, 27, 30, you know, whatever. Um, that was supposed to be a, a joke, but anyway. All right, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And so what happens, let's just take uh, the, the, eighth the eighth of the Ten Commandments. You shall not steal. Now, we should not physically go and take someone's possessions that do not belong to us. Okay, so we kind of get that on an external level. We are not to act in that manner. But what's going on when we steal someone's possessions? It's not just this external act that we are trying to acquire greater possessions for ourselves, but there is something in that action that's revealing a heart-level idolatry that we are not worshiping God as God alone. So we have maybe, uh, instead of finding contentment with what God has entrusted to us, now we are probably breaking the, the, the tenth commandment as well about coveting, desiring what other people have. And so we have treasured money and possessions over God. Do you see that? Now these possessions have actually become a functional idol, a functional savior in our lives. And we can just drill down as far as you want to go into comfort and power and approval. All of these things can become idols to us. So if you, if you break the other commands of God, you can always chase that back up and say, at some level, I'm breaking the first commandment to have no other gods before the one true God. Now, before we move on, we need to realize that God's words are for our good. And I love how Moses, when he articulates the Ten Commandments in the very opening words. Okay, let me read these for us. It starts in verse six, and there's a preamble to the, to the Decalogue, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So the Ten commands, okay, English majors can track with me here, the 10 imperatives that are given to the people of Israel are built on an indicative, all right? 
Let me do that again. They're built on an indicative, all right? So we're going to build up here. So, so an indic- indicative is a statement of truth, a fact. It's a proposition. God saved you out of Israel, out of the house of slavery, and it's this God that you are to listen to and obey. You see that? So this is why there is deep irony when we look at the commands of God and we say, God, you're trying to restrict me. God, you're trying to oppress me with all of these commands that you want me to keep, that I can't do this or go to this place and I, I should do this. And I, You see what I'm saying? Because the God that we are charging these restrictions against, he is actually the God who has set us free. He's the God who has liberated us, who has brought us into open spaces, who has given us peace and rest. This is how it was in the very beginning, the Garden of Eden. It was a place of God's shalom, his perfect peace, harmony, fulfillment, flourishing. And this is what God wanted his people to experience in the promised land. And this is, by the way, if you are in Christ, just get ready and get excited because this is what you'll experience for all eternity when God restores all things and brings in his new creation where we'll dwell in this garden city in the very presence of God. He gives us his commands to set us free. He has set us free. And so our response then is to this this God who loves us, who gives us his words for our good. Verse 24 of chapter five, check it out. It says this. It says, "And, and you said, behold, the Lord, our God has shown us his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man and man and still live. And then he goes on uh, in where am I? I think it's, I lost my, I, got, I gave you the wrong verse. It says it, it said, yeah, that, that one was good too, right, Mike? I mean, they're all good. It's the word of God. <laughs> but, it, but, but there's a verse in here somewhere, right, that says that, that he is giving us his commands for our good. Just read the whole chapter later, and I promise it's in there. All right? There we go. Mm. All right. So then this, this brings us then to the motivation to then keep his will. If God is giving us his commands for our good, then how should we observe God's commands and how should we then keep them? And so we, we see then secondly that we should keep God's commands from a heart motivated by love. Look at verse one of chapter six. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I am commanding you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey." Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
Okay, so we've said we want to, to live the word, but we want to, to live the word from a heart of love. So, so to go back to our opening thought, we can keep God's commands in such a way that our heart is really not engaged. We can, we can observe what God has said to do and yet not really be doing it from a heart of devotion and love to God. And so God is not simply interested in our activity, but he wants us to keep his commands from the heart. We see Jesus uh, railing against this in the Gospels with the Pharisees. Okay, the Pharisees were a group of people, religious leaders, all right, who appeared to have it all together. And yet Jesus says, look, their external righteousness is not beautiful in God's sight because their heart is not really worshiping God. They're in it for the praise of men. They want other people to see how, quote unquote, good they appear to be. And so we know, as we said, there's a, a Pharisaic tend tendency in the heart of every single one of us where we appear to have it all together and yet on the inside, we're not really loving God from the heart. We're putting on a show, we're posing, we're, we're appearing, giving the appearance of righteousness, but not really having the power of God at work in our souls. And so uh, let's, let's think about just how this works out in daily life, all right? When you got here this morning and you greeted one another, like, was that because you, you, you're excited to see one another and because you love us? It's kind of what we do. When we sing these songs, is it from a heart that is devoted to God, desiring him? Or again, is it just something that's kind of like, okay, next song, next verse, yeah, I'm gonna sing this one. Community groups, is it just a routine? Tuesday night, Thursday night? Or is it, man, I, I want to I be with God's people. I want to I receive encouragement. I want to encourage my, my, my family in Christ and, and those who are coming to hear the gospel. God is always peering past the externals in our life to our heart. And he wants our entire lives to be devoted to him. And so these verses teach us, this, this word in verse four, it's called the Shema, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is setting up what God is calling for, a complete loyal, loyalty to him as the one true God, the only God who is worthy of our worship and love. And so then he continues, the, the great commandment, that Jesus quotes in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment that God has ever given his people. And why is it so important? Why is it so great? Because it's telling us that God is not simply interested in our performance and action. He wants our heart he wants our entire being to be devoted to him. And so when we, we see this, all of your heart, it's talking about the, the seed of our, our, our emotions and our will and our affections for God. Our soul refers to, to our inner man, our inner person, our entire being. Might refers to all of our capacity, our natural abilities and resources to give ourselves in very practical terms with everything we have to God. 
So even as we we think about God over everything, that that's the, the ruling principle for our life, we should also be giving everything we have to show that God is over everything in our lives. You see that? So God is calling for us to to, to give ourselves to him. And verse six continues to put the emphasis on the the inside. It says that he's going to to put these um, commands, they should be be on our heart. This is how we should should function. We should know them well. We should should, uh, internalize them and we should consistently live them out. And I think this verse here is, is in some ways anticipating the new covenant, right? That Jesus died to bring us the new covenant in his blood where he says, I will put my laws within you. They will be on your heart. And so in the new covenant, we'd only have God's will imposed from the outside, but we have a heart that knows his will from the inside and is delighting to live out his will in our lives. I love what Andy Davis says in his new book, An Infinite Journey on uh, the, the Work of Sanctification, How God Makes Us More Like Christ Day by Day. He talks about Christian character, and, and it informs us what this kind of love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our might should look like, okay? And so just, just, just consider this. You might want to write these down, okay? He says that Christian character involves loving what Christ loves and hating what Christ hates, so just as we're going through these, it would be really wise to kind of put a grid over your life and say, how true is this of me? Do I love what Christ loves and do I hate what Christ hates? Then number two, he says that it involves desiring what Christ would desire. Three, it involves choosing what Christ would choose and rejecting what Christ would reject. So here is our will. Here, here's what's moving us to action. Then number four, it's having the mind of Christ so that we think the thoughts of Christ. Now, as we see the world and as we're uh, discerning everything that we see around us and even what's coming up from our heart, we are thinking like Jesus would think. Which leads us then to number five. We feel what Christ would feel. I mean, God cares about our emotions too. When you see people hurting, both physically and even spiritually, is your heart moved with compassion? Jesus, when he sat outside of Jerusalem and he looked down, it says that, that, that he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then all of this leads to being what Christ is, virtue, becoming. This is the process, right, of, of, of sanctification, that we are becoming more and more like Jesus, being conformed into the image of God. This is the work of grace in our souls. And so our love for God will expand as we value what God values and delight in what God delights in. I was reading a book this week and it quoted John Owen about the work of the Holy Spirit in our life and how we are to experience communion with God on a regular basis. And Owen uh, describes communion in this way. He says, it is the sharing of good things between persons who are mutually delighted being cemented together by some union. Okay, now I just wanna read that a little more slowly for you so you can kind of soak this up, all right? This is pretty deep stuff. He says, it's the sharing of good things. All right, we got that between persons who are mutually, okay, there's a shared delight in these things, 
and consequently what's happening. They're being cemented together by this union. So, so let me explain. When we love what God loves, when we desire the things of the Spirit, when we're excited about the mission of God, when we truly care about our neighbor and seek to love them as we would love ourselves, then what happens is we are actually loving the things that God loves and delighting in the things that God delights in so that we are becoming so one with him that there is almost this cementing effect of growing together more closely with God. So as we love the things that he loves, we're going to naturally experience the blessings that come from that kind of a life. And the same thing is true in our human relationships. Just look at the people around you. Perhaps you're sitting by a spouse. Perhaps you're sitting by some friends. And probably uh, for many of you, it's both and, right? And so this this is true of our human relationships. As we love the same things, and as we get excited about the same things, then there is, what a great picture, right? A cementing effect, a coming together because it is the things of God that are uniting us. This is true of the best human friendships and this is true of the best churches, okay? That, that, that are really giving themselves to God. Because all of this is coming from a heart that is devoted, loyal, giving themselves to God. So do you see how this greatest commandment, it it undercuts moralism, all right? Moralism just says, be a good person, right? Do this, don't do that, be a good little Christian, make sure, you know, you you do X, Y, and Z, and then, you know, God's cool with you, and, you know, everyone thinks you're great. God's looking way past all of that. He's looking to our hearts. He wants us to keep his commands from our heart. And then finally, here's the third encouragement. Weave the word into the fabric of your life so that you naturally share it with others, okay? Weave the word into the very fabric of your life so that you will naturally share it with others, right? Again, the the main point, live the word from a heart of love and lead others to do the same, This is where Moses goes uh, as he shares the words of God. It says this, and let's pick back up in verse six again. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then what does it say? Verses seven through nine. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlet between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, so what's going on here? Okay, a little, a little uh, hermeneutics for you. He is giving opposite ends of the spectrum. When you rise, when you lie down. And these are merisms, okay? These are, these are okay, so like night, day, and everything in between. He's saying that the word should so rule our lives. The, the word should be so, so, so uh, ingrained in us, woven into the very fabric of our lives that we are constantly thinking about it. We're constantly talking about it. We're constantly passing it on. When we encounter a challenge, we know that there is a word from God that it can meet that challenge. There's a word for every season, every moment of life. 
And so when we come to God's words, okay, we should come not as though we are coming to perform a chore, but we should come as if we are diving into an ocean by which we can be immersed with the things of God. The picture in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 is a picture of saturation and immersion. It's a, it's a total, I mean, God's word is so valuable. I want to know it inside and out. I want to meditate on it. I want to think about it constantly. And I want to even hide it in my heart, memorize it. So that, so that the word is actually becoming part of us. I mean, is this, is this true of you? Is this kind of becoming true of you? I pray that it is. This is the kind of church that we want to be. We want to value God's word so much that it is just part of who he is. That we're constantly talking about, encouraging one another with it. You know, it, it is March Madness. And uh, I can't help but just bring that up today. Uh, this is blue right here. We have name tags that are blue for the Kentucky Wildcats. All right? So, you know, I'm from Kentucky. and got to, you know, celebrate a little bit. Uh, Anthony, can you help me up right there? Uh, let, let, me, let me just kind of give you a little illustration, all right? As we, as we celebrate that uh, victory of the Kentucky Wildcats last night. You see, a basketball player... I'll be gracious. Dave's got his UConn jersey on. Uh, there's not jersey, so I'm getting excited. A sweatshirt on back there, graduate of UConn. Uh, Shabazz Napier is a great point guard, right? Senior point guard for UConn, averages about 23 a game in the tournament. Okay, when you watch him play on Monday night, while you're cheering for my beloved Wildcats, all right, you're going to see that the basketball is, is just on a string, okay? It's, it's one with him. He can make a move, he can spin, he can go behind his back, he can, he can weave in between two or three guys and still not lose the ball because it's just become part of him. And so many of you know, my dad's a high school basketball coach, so he put a ball in my crib. I was, I was dunking on Larry Bird Nerf goals off the couch when I was, you know, two, three years old. I don't know why I can't dunk today, but, you know, <laughs> I guess that's, you know, that's, Lord, I'm thankful for what you gave me. Uh, so, so anyway... Uh, as a, as a little kid, I would start to do basketball drills. You know what I'm saying? Just like, you know, I know this isn't too hard, right? But just, I'm a little rusty, but I still got it, you know? And then, and then just kind of work on, you know, rolling the ball over your hand. And you can kind of go one hand, then you can kind of go two, right? You ever seen that? And then you kind of go back. Then you can kind of just kind of keep doing it, you know what I'm saying? Thank you, Sky. And what about, you know, oh, hold up. What about a little, you know, a little Pistol Pete for you a little bit? A little, little Larry Bird? All right. So... So what happens, all right, what happens when you're disciplined to practice and you know the skills and you acquire these skills is that the, the, the ball actually becomes part of you, right? And so this is, this is an illustration of when, when we're so engrossed in the word of God, immersing ourselves in the word, that it just becomes, it just kind of flows out of us. You don't have to work at it. You know what I'm saying? It's just we've meditated on it. We've, we've hit it in, in our heart that we might not sin against God. And then we can pass it on to other people. So as we, as we think about living a Bible-saturated life, this, I mean, this, this command is directly given to parents. All right, so parents, let me just encourage you for a moment. Do you have a Bible-saturated home? What might a Bible-saturated home look like? Do you ever read the, the Bible stories to your kids? 
Man, we have some great resources. I can see even from here, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Great stories of the faith that will help children learn the word of God. Do you ever take what you're learning, okay, which implies you're in the Word? Do you ever take what you're learning in your own devotional times, what you've heard on Sundays, and do you ever pass that along to your children? Through the week, when when something comes up in the home, when a challenge surfaces, when there's cause for worry or anxiety, do you ever just speak the Word of God and and give perspective uh, from God's perspective on your life circumstances? You see, God wants this to happen in our homes from the moment when we rise to the time when we go to bed and all times in between. And this is not just for parents in the home. This is for Christians. So Christian, do you lead a Bible-saturated life? Are you constantly thinking about the Word? Are you applying the Word? Are you encouraging others with the Word? Are you uh, singing the Word, praying the Word? seeing the word at work in you, that then you might go on to share it with others. I love what Colossians 3 says. It says that the word of Christ should dwell in us, and it says it should dwell in us richly. So it's not, again, just this intellectual knowledge, hey, yeah, I know what that says, but it is an understanding, and we are experiencing it to the point where there is depth and richness and joy and life because the word is not a dead word, but the word is living and active, and it is then alive in us. That's why Jesus said, we looked at it a few weeks ago, Man does not live by bread alone, okay? Physically, we need to eat, and spiritually, we need to eat. You know what I'm saying? We live by the very words of God, not just reading them, but living them out. And so what higher privilege, as we think about sharing the word, this, this, this kind of missiological spiral of knowing the word, living the word, and sharing the word, let me ask you, what higher privilege do we have than to share the life-giving, perfect word of God with other people. I've been so encouraged to hear stories over the past three or four weeks of people in Redemption Hill that have been sharing the gospel with people around them, whether that's in their neighborhoods, in their workplaces, in their schools, at where they're working out and playing in and around our city. And the gospel is taking root. People are coming to believe in Christ as we saw last week in our baptism service. So we have no higher privilege than to know the word and to live the word and to share the word with the world. And and one one of our goals this year is to continue to see more and more people come to Christ, be made disciples, followers of Jesus because we are sharing the word with them. So what better time of the year to to, to speak about the things of God, to give witness to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ than in this time of the year where we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so how can you be active in the mission of God? How can you? We, we said earlier, we want to see, this, is, this sounded crazy probably on, you know, January 5th, but we said we would love to see 240 people come to worship with us on one of the Sundays in April, okay? And by the way, we're not a church that's all hung up on numbers. We just really love people. We want as many people as possible to come to know the knowledge of Christ. So that's why we throw out numbers sometimes. So, so what is it going to take for us to then go and invite our friends 
to go and share with our friends, to be the, these people that we've been praying for in our community groups, to go and say, hey, why don't you come next Sunday, all right? Even if you don't like the preacher, you'll probably like the pizza that's going to be served afterwards because they're going to be a free lunch for you to come. Just, you know, I'll pick you up. Let's roll. I'll even buy, you know, a lunch afterwards if you're not filling the pizza. You know, just kind of, you know, make it happen, right? We can do this. We can, we can reach out on Easter and, and have uh, many friends come to hear the gospel and to see what living our lives for Christ is all about. And how do we do this? We do this through Jesus who empowers us as our true and greater Moses. Jesus is the true prophet of God. Jesus gives us God's will for our life and he empowers it. So as we, as we think about Jesus, Deuteronomy 18, 15, the Lord tells the people, it's a prophecy. He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Deuteronomy 18 is about Jesus. Jesus is our true and greater Moses. So he brings a new covenant to God's people and now we live under his good law. He is faithful over God's house as a son, as Hebrews 3 says, not as a servant as Moses was, but as a son. And now he fulfills the law for us. He did what we could not do so that in Christ, the end of the law might come for all who believe. So now I don't have to keep the law because the law has already been kept for me in Christ. Now all I have to do is just believe, look to him. Thank you, Jesus, for living the life I should have lived, for dying the death I should have died so that now you are my righteousness and you are my life and I have life in you. He's faithful over God's house as a son. He also strengthens us for the journey, okay? So he doesn't give us these commands and say, hey, good luck, best wishes, I hope you do well with that. He gives us his spirit by which now we are strengthened for the journey that he is leading us on, again, as our true and greater Moses to the true and better promised land. This is who Jesus Christ is. So everything that we've talked about, receiving the, the words of God as his revealed will for us, keeping his commands from our heart, living to share his words so that others can, can experience the same things we're experiencing. It all comes through Jesus who is our life. And so what I want to do today is just encourage you to take a step of renewal with God. Live the word from a heart of love and share it with others so that they can do the same. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your rich word that gives us life. Father, we confess that we are often a people who sometimes keep your commands, but oftentimes don't keep them from a heart that is just overflowing in love to you. And so God, we ask even now, that your spirit would reign in us, that your spirit would work to draw us near to you through the blood of Christ and his work, that we could take great delight in knowing you and loving you and living for your glory. Lord, help us to be those that are so saturated with your word that we can't help but speak it to others and share with them the good news of the gospel. So Lord, would you, would you infuse us with grace and confidence to so walk with you that the spirit of Christ just becomes this missionary spirit within us 
so that we might live in holiness and that we might lead others to your salvation. We thank you for your work on our behalf. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, listen, please stand.